Genesis chapter 22, beginning in verse 1. Some time later, God tested Abraham, and he said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. Early, up, early the next morning, Abraham got up and saddled his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, Stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go up or go over there. We will worship, and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they had reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day, it is said, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only Son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies. And through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Then Abraham returned to his servants and they set off together for Beersheba. And Abraham stayed in Beersheba. Thus ends the reading of God's holy word. Let us pray. Father, we ask simply that you would use your word mightily this day. Use your servant to draw your people closer unto yourself. Point them to their Savior. All this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Some 
questions can be incredibly severe. Some words are hard to listen to and accept. Uh, years ago, uh, I learned about a movie, and I can't remember its name, uh, but I remember this movie was a black and white film, and it was about a girl who desperately wanted to uh, win a dance competition. These aren't the dance competitions of today. This was back in the 20s when the last couple da left dancing after hours and hours would win a cash prize of some kind. And in this movie, she enters a dance competition with this man. And after hours and hours of dancing, they can't dance anymore. And the girl is just broken. She's beside herself. It has just shattered her that she could not continue in this way. And then you hear a gunshot. And when the police arrive, they ask the young man who was dancing with her why he killed this young woman. And I'll never forget the answer because of the severity in which it is phrased. He said, well, they shoot horses, don't they? This idea that you can put a human being down just like an animal, there is a harshness to a question like that, a severity. As you play out the answer, it is incredibly cruel and harsh. And I, we may disagree with the implications of that movie, altogether here, that people are nothing more than beasts, yet you cannot escape the harshness of the question, the severity of what is being asked. We expect harsh language in certain places and from certain people even, but do we expect severe and harsh questions to come from the Bible? This morning, what is most striking about the text before us is how severe the command of God is that lays upon Abraham. God asks Abraham to do something, but it is a severe and heavy command. What God calls Abraham to do is not an easy faith. This isn't easy believism. This is harsh and difficult and a costly faith where he is being called to lay down everything that is most precious to him. And so the first thing we see here this morning is indeed a severe command, a severe command. Most of us are familiar with this story. Many of us have known this story for as long as we've been Christian. We've seen this story put up on flannel graphs in Sunday school. Even if you haven't been a Christian long or became a Christian later in life, you're probably well aware of this particular text and what happens here. And we know what it's all about, what it points forward to towards another story about another sacrifice, one that has much bearing on our particular lives. We're familiar with this text. And yet, as one theologian said, there is danger in the familiar. We tend to accept what we are familiar with without questioning, without wondering. Sometimes the more familiar we are, the less clearly we actually see what the particular problems are. We less clearly see what the issues are at hand. And so for some of us, we read this text as though we ought to expect this scenario before us to happen. We read it like, of course, Abraham will be tested to give up his own son. Of course, it's only natural that God would ask and test Abraham in this way, that he would do this to his servant. But the truth of the matter is, for this text, it ought to perplex us. It is meant to do that to us. You have got 
to see and feel the tension of the text here. We are meant to feel the weight of what God says in these first two verses. I mean, not even a chapter ago. Chapter 21. Finally, after walking with Abraham from chapter 12, after waiting for 25 years, after 25 years of wandering with Abraham, after knowing God has promised him that he would have more children than the dust of the earth and the stars of the sky, finally, after Sarah's womb that has been beyond the ability to bear children and Abraham himself is considered as good as it, finally, when God works with them, in chapter 21, we receive this promised child, Isaac, in whom God is well pleased. We see this supernatural child given to Abraham, whom God has promised for many years. And God says, I told you, I would give you a son. That's what the text basically emphasizes. I know, you know that I promised this thing, and I would do what I promised. Now I have done what I said I would do. And God tells us in verse 12 of chapter 21, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This is a repeated theme. Through Isaac, your offspring will be named. Through this particular child, through this one son you hold now in your arms. This is the son I promised you. This is the one you have been looking for. This is the one you've been waiting for all this time. You have no doubts about my promise or character. I promised I would bring the child to you. And I have done so, for I have sworn it, even if it brings great harm to myself, I would do this thing, and I did it, for I am the Lord your God. And then what happens in chapter 21, that's what happens back there, and honestly, you sort of expect the next words to be, and they lived happily ever after, right? You know, God bless them. And gave Abraham as many children as stars in the sky, and the end, uh, 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 uh. and that's the end. You know, and everyone goes home happy because now we know what kind of God we serve—one who blesses us in ad finitum. But that's not what happens. You know, and you got to feel the weight now, hearing that good news about a birth of this waited one, waiting and waiting and waiting, and now he is here. And suddenly, in the very next chapter, the very first words that we hear from God are when he lays his fingers on Isaac and says, I want this one, Abraham. I want what is most precious to you. Do not withhold this one from me. And the words just cut in deep like a knife. Abraham, I want you to take your son, your only son, Isaac, the one you love, I want you to take this one, and I want you to go to Moriah, to the place I will show you. And I want you to sacrifice your son as a whole burnt offering to me at the place I will tell you. And we should read this text, and we should be throwing up our hands saying, are you kidding me? (laughs) This wasn't part of the plan. This wasn't part of the promise you gave, God. This isn't what you said you were doing. What are you doing? How does this make any sense? You have to wrestle with the questions that this raises for the people of God here. This is severe, what God is asking Abraham to do. And we are supposed to wonder as we think through this text, what kind of father would sacrifice his own son for any reason? What kind of father would murder 
his child. But even more than that, where the text is really driving it is, what kind of God would ask his servant to murder his only child? God's very character, you see, is at stake here in this text. I mean, is God a liar? That he would say for 25 years, I'll give you a son through whom the world will be blessed. And that son's name is Isaac. And he's here. And this is the one. And the very next moment, as soon as the opportunity arises, I want you to sacrifice this child to me. Is God confused? Is he lying? Is he irrational? Soren Kierkegaard believed God was toying with Abraham, that this is all one big joke. And faith is nothing but absolute absurdity. It's a leap into the unknown, following God no matter what he says, even if it's in direct contradiction to God's character and his promises. I disagree with Kierkegaard's collusion conclusions, and I would strongly encourage you not to as well. But he is getting at the heart of the problem. Something is going on here that doesn't seem right. This action God is calling Abraham, it goes against everything that we know about God. Everything and every way that he has revealed himself from Genesis 1 and on. And yet, somehow, Abraham, in the midst of this painful command, we see him rise and he goes filled with confidence that somehow God will work it all out, even if he doesn't yet know how. And yet... That is confusing and absurd to us, and yet that is often the way faith actually works. Faith doesn't always seem logical. We've seen it over and over again in the life of Abraham alone. It is absurd to move to a place because God gave you a promise that your descendants would inherit it after 400 years. It doesn't make sense logically, and yet Abraham does it. It's absurd that Abraham would believe that God would give him a child through the dead womb of his retired wife, but he does believe it. Faith holds on to these promises over and over again. In the life of Abraham, we see God having a purpose in his actions and even in his faith. And so the question is, as you come to this, should we doubt that God has a purpose in what he is doing here. That is the question that is before Abraham. That is the question that is before you, dear Christian. It may feel like it's one thing for us to look in the scriptures and see Abraham and trust in God's character and promises. When we see the end result, we know what's coming in the end. It's another thing altogether to trust God in the circumstances of our lives when we can't see the end. We can't see what God is doing with us, with the particular difficulties that he may be calling us to. How, then, do we respond when God brings difficult providences into our lives? How should we respond when God asks us to give up that which is most precious to us? How should we understand painful providences? The answer to these questions are in our text, beloved, as we watch Abraham go on a painful journey. A painful journey. You'll notice as you come to verse 3 how Abraham responds. He doesn't cry out against God, though he doesn't understand why God is asking him to do this. Clearly, it goes against everything, every characteristic of God and every promise that he has made. But instead... We don't see him cry out against God or fight God. Instead, we see him rise early in the morning, something that indicates clear obedience. As soon 
as it is possible in the first opportunity, he is obeying God. In the early morning, Abraham rises and he does what God calls him to do. Much like when he circumcised himself and Ishmael on the self-same day that God commanded him to do it. You see, an immediate obedience to his God. And then the Hebrew slows down here so you can feel the pain in the text. I mean, it's, intentional. it's like slow motion. You can feel the pain of Abraham as he prepares for this journey, as he is wrestling with the command of God. It says he rose, and he saddled his donkey, he took the young two, two young men, and he took Isaac, and he cut the wood for the sacrifice, and he arose and went. It's slowing down to a moment. You're supposed to see and feel the pain of Abraham as he prepares to go and do this thing. As he goes through each moment, he's cutting the wood that he knows he will be laying his son upon. He's saddling the donkey that will carry the wood to the place of sacrifice. And then it tells us that he will journey for three days. For three full days, Abraham has this horrible, painful task and reality before him calling him to what God has commanded him to do. And you'll notice in the text that Abraham is silent. The text says, uh, tells us of no words spoken besides the two young, when he speaks to the two young men, that they must stay with the donkey. Until, interestingly, it says, until Isaac and Abraham both return to them. But otherwise, that's the only speech we see of Abraham on this three day journey and you get the sense Abraham is lost in his own aching thoughts and as they draw near to the mountain the mountain that his son will be sacrificed upon Abraham looks up and he sees the mountain and he puts the wood on Isaac to carry it up to the mountain Isaac is about the age of a teenager now if he is able to carry this wood and he and Abraham have a relationship together that has lasted at least at the minimum, 12 to 13 years. It is one thing to lose a child that you barely know. It is always painful to lose a child. Anyone who has ever had a miscarriage knows this reality. But this pain increases the older your child gets. Try to imagine losing a child at age 12 or 13. The, plain, the pain here is plain in the text as you read the emphasis, the father and son, father and son, go on this journey. Abraham, take your son, your only son, the one whom you love. And Abraham takes with him his young son. The text says again and again, repeating these words, father and son. And as they go up the mountain, you see these two go forward together. The text says that phrase twice. Father and son, says the, the text says they went forth, and the two of them went together. This is a painful, excruciating journey, one that is cutting Abraham up on the inside, though we only learn what Abraham is thinking twice. Stay here with the donkeys. And then he speaks once in this journey up the mountain with his son Isaac. Here goes Isaac carrying the wood, and Abraham carrying in one hand the knife, in the other hand the fire, both of which are the tools that will be used to bring destruction to his child. He carries this burden in his hands and on himself. In his own being, he carries this waif, this knife that will be used to dismember his son and the fire to take every part of him away. The text uses a word for knife that's used only one other time in Scripture. And that's in Judges chapter 19, 
when an Israelite man cuts up his concubine to send her parts to all the tribes of Israel, showing how corrupt the tribe of Benjamin has become. This knife is more like a machete than a pocket knife. It's not a little bitty fillet knife. It is, it is designed to butcher and to offer up a burnt offering or a whole offering, as the text repeats again and again, that is what Abraham will be required to do, butchery to his own son, his only son. And all of this lays heavy on Abraham as you hear the oppressive silence that is only broken once when Abraham and Isaac speak. When Isaac asks Abraham the only question that is left to be asked Father, Abraham says, here I am, son. Again, that intimate language. Father, I see fire and wood, but where is the lamb? Where is the one to be sacrificed? Some of us read this and we want to shout, hey, kid, you're the lamb. You're the sacrifice. Don't you see it, Isaac? Do you not see what is before you? But Abraham answers him very plainly and honestly. God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. It's a difficult response, but it is beautiful in it because we see in it the provision, an impressive provision of God, an impressive provision. The whole text hinges on Abraham's answer. The whole account centers on God's providing so much so that Abraham will name this place God has provided and the text ends focusing on a saying that is used to this day that the Lord will provide on the mountain but we hear these words of Abraham when we ask Abraham what are you thinking as you say these words are you trying to comfort Isaac who will be doomed to knife and fire what are you doing Beloved, Abraham, even in the midst of his pain, even in the midst of all his suffering on the journey, in the back of his mind, he still knows who God is. And his answer reflects on that. It's as though he's saying, Isaac, I don't know where the lamb's going to come from, but I do know this, and I will tell you what I know. I know God. I know what kind of God he is. I remember how he walked down the bloody path, how he passed through it on his own through the pieces of the slain lamb and the ox and the birds, how he promised harm unto himself if he didn't keep his promise to bless me and my offspring through you, Isaac. And I don't know how God is going to provide. I don't know what God is doing exactly, but I do know that God will do what he must do. I know his character, I know his promise, and it's through your very body that God will keep his promise. And the New Testament tells us that Abraham, as he is ascending this mountain, he believed this reality, the character of God. His faith was resting in the character and promise of God so much that even as he marched up the mountain to sacrifice his only son, that God would still keep his promise, even if he had to raise Isaac from the dead. Even if it gets to that point, he still believed the promise. And so he says, I don't know where the lamb is going to come from, but I know God will provide a way to keep his word to us. Notice, Abraham earlier in the text, he believes this so 
much that he told the two young men who are with the donkey, who are watching, he said, stay here until we both return. He is firmly convinced that somehow God is going to provide or raise his child from the dead. He does not know what God will do, but he does know who God is, what kind of character this God is. He knows and believes and rests in the reality that God will somehow keep his promise to Abraham. And the text slows down here again. And they come to the place that God told him. And he binds his son. And he lays him on the wood. And in slow motion, he takes the knife into his hand and prepares to raise it to kill his son. And God intercedes. God steps in. He provides a lamb for the slaughter. God steps in and he provides. And Abraham offers this lamb for a sacrifice in place of his son. And God speaks, he intercedes, he repeats his promise yet again, swearing by his own name this time, saying, I swear by my own name, for there is no one greater to swear by that God will bless all the people of the earth through Abraham's seed. And these two who go up into the mountain, they return back home together. Abraham, again, according to the Bible, received back what was dead in the land of the living. The dead received new life here. Beloved, sometimes in your life, you will go through hardship. You will go through adversity. You will go through all kinds of troubles and difficulties that will test your faith. God never, ever once promises that the journey will be easy, but he does promise us himself. He promises himself that he will be with us and that in him that the promises to us will be good They will be a good and let your faith rest in the promises and character of God himself, a God who does not lie, a God who will bring you through whatever difficulty he brings into your life. For if he brings you to it, he surely can bring you through it. This is a God who seals his promise by swearing harm to himself that the children of Abraham, you, dear Christian, might be blessed through him. That's the kind of God we serve, one who provides a way for his people through every trial and testing, and you needn't look no further than the cross to believe it. For at the cross, he gave the very lamb of God as a substitute for our sins, to take away the sins of his people. There he gave his only son to carry a piece of wood upon his back upon a mountain and provide for all Abraham's seed a way of righteousness. The innocent lamb is slaughtered so that the guilty would go free. God gave up his son, his only son, the one that he loved, giving him to death for your sake. And people of God, if there is anything absurd in this text at all here today, it is absurd how much the father loves you. He gave you his only son for you that you might receive you that he might receive you back from the dead that you might no longer be dead in sin but cleansed and declared righteous before him you have been bought with a price and cleansed of all unrighteousness by a spotless lamb the lamb of God himself who was slain and he freely gives him for you pardoning you and he gives you his very self 
what the text does teach us is that all he requires in return from you is everything. People of God, surely he has set you free from all unrighteousness. Surely he has set your sins as far as the east is from the west. And he calls you then in turn out of gratitude to lay down that which is most precious to you. To come and follow him. Come follow me, he says. Leave everything behind. We must be willing to lay it all down, letting goods and kindreds go, this mortal life also, laying everything down and saying, it's yours, Lord. You have my life, take it. My marriage, my children, my work, my life, my time, my computer usage, everything is yours, God. Christ didn't die for you to have a half-hearted commitment to him. He died that he might have all of you. But the funny thing is how God works it all out in the end. And you'll see this here in this text. Is that when we lay it all before his feet, when we give him our only son, Isaac, that which is most precious to us, God accepts it and says, well done, good and faithful servant. Now you keep it for me. You take care of it. He gives it all back to us. But it's not the same, is it? It's been changed. Just as Isaac was considered as good as dead and was received back to Abraham in new life, so too it is with you. You've been changed by the righteousness of Christ. And when, not if, God calls you to the hard things, when he calls you to them, when he calls you to lay everything at his feet, you are able to do so. Not because you're a great person, not because you you can do it on your own, but because God has provided for you the very Lamb of God, his own Son. He has given you everything you will ever need because in the Son, he has given you his very self. Amen. Let's pray. Our God... We are half-hearted creatures. We do not know the fullness of the depths of the riches of the mercy of God. For surely your ways are unsearchable. Father, forgive us for withholding ourselves from you, our lives. We give them to you. We lay them at your feet. Father, take them, use them, change them. Change us into the people who are transformed by Christ and conform more and more into his image, not just to be better people, but because we have been transformed and changed by Christ Jesus, who has given us his very self. Father, we pray that you would be with us for the remainder of this time. Draw us closer to yourself throughout the remainder of this week. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.